Okay, some more details about the tension heating up between Israel and Iran in Syria. We're going to explain why this is such a big deal. Coming up, by the way, I'm going to discuss a bit more about the Zionist role in the Holocaust. A lot of you reached out to me about that topic. I'm going to clarify my remarks from yesterday. But first, Israel has carried, been carrying out an all-out military offensive. Heavy, heavy air raid strikes over the weekend against Syria and specifically Iranian forces. And they issued a very stern warning, Prime Minister Bibi Netanyahu. And this is the first time that Israel has acknowledged actually carrying out, carrying out air raids. They've done numerous, but they actually publicly made it official. So that tells you how seriously they're taking this. Now, that's because this is the first time an Israeli jet plane has been shot down since 1982, the first time the Israelis have lost a warplane in battle since 1982, and that's we told you about how the Iranians shot down an Israeli F-16 fighter. The pilots survived, the pilots were injured, but just to show you how historic and how big a deal this is. Now, here's a quote from Netanyahu. We inflicted a heavy blow to Iranians and Syrian forces. We make clear that our rules of engagement will not change. We will continue to harm anyone who tries to harm us. This was our policy. Policy will remain our policy. The Iranians, of course, deny having any military presence in Syria, even though we all know not only do they have it, but they use it strategically to funnel weapons and other supplies to Hezbollah, to Hamas. It's a very strategic location. And the Iranians basically tested. They flew this drone. They were testing the Israelis. So Netanyahu recognizes we need to respond with absolute full force and make it extraordinarily clear that you don't mess around with the Israelis. It doesn't work that way. And by the way, even though the Israelis haven't announced it, but there have been eyewitness accounts and even pictures uh, of a convoy of missile defense batteries heading north uh, to the Syrian border. So, you know, this is the Iron Dome, David Sling, and the other missile defense systems that they have. They're shipping them up north. And, and by the way, I don't think they made it a secret either. You know, they didn't announce it, but the fact that it was in full view, they knew pictures would be taken. So they're sending a very clear warning here uh, to the Iranians. Now, at the end of the Yahoo article that discusses this, of course, it says Israel occupies a swath of the Golan Heights that it seized in the Six-Day War in 1967, later annexed, in a move never recognized by the international community. When did the international community recognize our annexation of Texas, the United States annexation? Why doesn't it say, well, the United States annexed Texas back in the 1800s and occupy it, and it hasn't been recognized? Are you kidding me? 1967? You realize how many decades it's been? What is it, 50 years? And we have that, that that territory and that we by the way we we get attacked we respond we take the territory after they attacked us we don't want anything to do with it and then we're occupying them you know they have to still point this out uh, uh, just amazing but what, what do we expect from the mainstream media uh anyway the point is that the situation is uh, hopefully not going to escalate further hopefully now this will be nipped in the bud that's what uh, experts are saying is going to happen but it's still very tense very nerve-wracking we'll keep you updated as always uh, a little bit more on the budget you know i was talking to a very close friend and he gave me the other side of this i want to explain the other side the republican side who gave in caved to the democrats and seemed to want to spend more money raising the but the 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 spending by domestic spending by like hundreds of billions of dollars in the next few years. The deficit is now $1.2 trillion over the next few years, and the Republicans are in control. First, I want to mention that I hold President Trump accountable because he signed this budget into law. 
And, you know, some of you said, well, what about President Trump? And I, I, look, you know me. I'm a big fan of his. I support him, but I call him out when I disagree. And the fact that he signed this, yes, he should. He's never going to veto a bill. I'm telling you right now. President Bush didn't veto a bill for like seven years, but I think he should. I think especially because there's no wall funding. Now they're discussing wall funding. Well, where have you been? There was supposed to be wall funding in September, Paul Ryan promised President Trump. That never happened. There's been one stopgap measure after the next, after the next, after the next, because that's what Congress knows how to do. Take recesses and pass stopgap measures and tell everybody, don't worry, everything's fine. Meanwhile, getting nothing done, you know, uh, but... Uh, so I, I do blame President Trump. I want to make that clear. Still think he's super conservative. You know, he's not going to get a 100% mark from anybody, but he's still really, really very conservative on most issues. And spending is that he never talks about cutting spending. This is not his issue. He doesn't mind spending a ton of money. That's not something he cares about. So unlike many conservatives, yeah, I'll grant you that. But here's where it's really upsetting is that we were poised to really issue a death blow to the Democrats a few weeks ago. Remember, Chuck Schumer, he was a laughing stock because they shut down the government for a weekend, which the government shut down anyway over the weekend. And then Schumer caves. He doesn't get a DACA deal, doesn't get anything that he wanted. And he, he looked silly, he and Pelosi. And at that point, and, and, and even the media was blaming Schumer for the government shutdown, which was amazing, as close as they'll ever come to doing that. And then we had them, you understand? We, at that point, we should have said, you know what? Try it again. Let's shut down the government. Let's see what happens. The Democrats, I guarantee you, would have been afraid to do that. We would have gotten a lot of concessions out of them. So, but here's the other side, as my friend was explaining to me. He's very conservative, and he says, listen, we cannot, what, the, what Rand Paul wants to do, and Mike Lee, the, the idea of just cutting spending and actually cutting a lot of the social programs. We spend $2 trillion a year on just basically health care and social security, Medicare, Medicaid, and welfare programs like food stamps, $2 trillion out of $4 trillion. Insane. So if we cut that, there'll just be this uproar from a lot of voters, even Republican voters. A lot of them are moderate. A lot of them like these programs. They like getting free money handed out by the government. It's a sad reality. It's a fact. So a lot of conservatives have this dilemma. Do we go with our true convictions and do we vote with our hearts and with our principles or do we say, listen, we're going to lose power if we cut these programs. That's how the Democrats and, and Obama set up this society right now, which is that people are so used to these free government programs. Food stamp use is at an all time high. It's lower now, but still pretty high. So at that point, the Republicans are going to get voted out of office. Same thing happened with Obamacare. Now, Obamacare, the, the Republicans kept voting to uh, repeal Obamacare when the Democrats were in power. But then suddenly the Republicans take power and everything changes, right? So th when, when, when the Republicans are in power, at that point they realize to stay in power, they need to pander. That's the dilemma. So it's a very practical decision. It's principles versus staying in power. I, I don't agree with that. I, that's why I like to stay out of this and be on this side of things because I can go with my values and my principles. But I, I respect at least the strategy. It's not like, well, we're just going to sell out. It's like at least we'll get most of what we want this way versus if we lose power, then we get none of what we want. So I wanted to you know, clarify that. Now, meanwhile, on the DACA deal, the DACA is going to expire in a couple of weeks. President Trump saw to it that it will expire. And they're trying to cut a deal. Now, President Trump is saying, I want a wall in, 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 uh, in, in he wants to trade a DACA deal for a wall, as we've been talking about for months, but it's like, why would you pass a DACA deal now? The budget has already been passed. 
uh, and, and the next budget isn't until after DACA already expires. So why would they even discuss DACA? I have no idea, but it's because they don't have a wall. Well, they should have had a wall as part of this past budget. So the whole thing, you get the feeling the Republicans really want to pass a DACA deal. They don't. The Republicans don't want to be the ones who send all these 800,000 or a million or a million and a half dreamers back to Mexico. That's really what this is about because I don't see any other explanation. They shouldn't even be discussing DACA right now because we got the budget we wanted without DACA. So, but bottom line, they are starting a DACA debate and a debate to fund the wall inexplicably again, but we'll keep you updated on all those details. Um, uh, uh, Dove Hyken, New York State Assemblyman Dove Hyken, lashed out at Senator Chuck Schumer. Schumer had a meeting with a bunch of Jewish groups and he singled out Orthodox Jews and blamed Orthodox Jews for not doing more to call out President Trump on what Schumer feels is Trump's failure to confront hate in the United States. So Chuck Schumer publicly bashing the Orthodox Jews, as outrageous as it gets. And you know there were reports that he refused to sign on uh, to request uh, 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 Raboshkin be released, Sean Raboshkin be released, even though Nancy Pelosi wrote a letter requesting Raboshkin's release. But Chuck Schumer somehow couldn't bring himself to do it. Here's a quote from Dove Hyken, really great quote, singling out Orthodox Jews was distasteful, shameful, and arrogant. The statement of Senator Schumer was nothing less than playing to his progressive liberal base. If the senator was genuinely concerned about confronting hate and anti-Semitism, he would not have given Obama a pass when Obama did everything possible to marginalize Israel. Where was Schumer when Linda Sarsour showed support for terrorists and undermined the existence of Israel? Or when Black Lives Matter adopted anti-Israel platforms? Has the senator held press conferences confronting the racist BDS movement? which seeks to isolate and starve innocent Israelis. The best candidate who Schumer saw fit to lead the DNC was Keith Ellison, a friend of Louis Farrakhan, who called Hitler a great man. And by the way, I'll add, that's the quote, and I'll add to that, that Schumer voted against uh, David Friedman to be the ambassador to Israel. Uh, quote, the Orthodox community does not need to be lectured by Senator Schumer. Let the good senator work on alleviating anti-Israel animus within the Democratic Party because, as we know, anti-Israel rhetoric and anti-Zionism is the 21st century version of anti-Semitism. It's true. They call uh, it anti-Zionism because that's more politically correct, but it's really anti-Semitism, um, which brings us to the discussion about Poland and the Holocaust the, the, the Polish Polish government officials said that Israel should feel shame about its role in the Holocaust. And you know, I made comments yesterday. I believe that the Polish government has no business getting involved in what, what the Jewish and the Zionist involvement was in the Holocaust. With that having been said, you know, so, some, many of you pointed out to me that I should clarify the, the, which I am very familiar with, the Zionist, some Zionist role in the Holocaust and being complicit in the Holocaust. Now, I encourage you to read the book Perfidy and to look up, research the history yourself, but it is very clear historically that the word Zionist, it actually benefited the Zionist movement to have Jews killed because it led to this, the, the Israeli state uh, basically becoming a state as a result of uh, what Jews suffered in the Holocaust, suffered through in the Holocaust. So the, there, there, there were Zionists. Now, again, there are a lot of different people involved. We cannot get into all the details right now historically, but there were Zionists who were complicit and who may have led to the deaths of possibly a million Jews, as shocking as that sounds, and deceived Jews into basically being killed to suit their own agenda. They're very horrible atrocities. Now, my point still is that the Polish people, the Polish government has no business getting it, getting involved in that. Anytime there, there, there's an 
uh, internal problem in one group of people. You know, it would be like if uh, there are two sets of African-American groups fighting with each other and then somebody decides to be uh, a racist and to be anti-African-American and so well, they're against each other, so I can be against them too. That is wrong. It's disgraceful. It's outrageous. You have no right butting in to a, a personal business within a nation and saying, saying well, I'm going to be anti-Semitic too. The, the Polish people have a history of being anti-Semitic, of committing atrocities and being complicit in the Holocaust. There were good Polish people too, as, as is well documented. There were. They're not all bad. Nobody's denouncing an entire group here, but the, this, this bill that was passed uh, in Poland is trying to revise history and trying to whitewash the Holocaust and, and the Polish involvement. It's, it's very clear. There's no... There's no debating that, and I don't believe they have any right to say, well, shame on Israel and the Zionists for their history. At the same time, I don't want to whitewash the Zionist role either, and I want to make it very clear that they had their own issues, and that's a fact. Now, all right, a couple of more things here I've been wanting to get to for a while. Stockton, California is going to institute universal basic income. I believe they're the first city to make it official. A lot of people have been talking about this. Universal basic income, the idea is that every family is guaranteed a certain amount of income, whether they earn it or not, whether they work or not. So Stockton, California, it's going to start with $500 a month. Everybody in Stockton, you don't have to work a day in your life. You're guaranteed $500 a month. Enjoy. Here we go. Free money. Now, folks, they call it universal basic income. This is socialism. Uh, it, it makes no logical sense. If you don't have to work and you're going to get money, then eventually nobody's going to work. I know $500 a month is not exactly enough to live on, but conceptually, this is how it begins. This is, I, I, I tell you right now, folks, this is disastrous. It's an absolute disaster. The potential is really scary, but even even this right now, because of how quickly it can snowball, oh, $500 a month, what's the big deal? It's just like a welfare program. No, it's the concept. They're calling universal basic income. It's another word for socialism. It's as simple as that. And Elon Musk and Mark Zuckerberg have been talking about this. We need this. This is where we're headed. It's easy for them to say. The super wealthy don't get affected by socialism. They're fine. They have more money than they're ever going to need. It's the middle class people who have to suffer because we're going to be the ones, just like Obamacare. So, And just like food stamps, we're the ones who are paying a, a, a huge portion of our income in taxes to fund these programs. So I think this is a very, very bad sign. And we'll see how far it goes. California is always, they're nutty. I mean, they're lunatics. And that's why the, the state is bankrupt. And a lot of these cities are bankrupt. But Certainly something to keep an eye on and to be wary of. And finally, uh, the New York Times had a, a big article last week. If we get rid of the dreamers and if we send illegals back to their countries, who's going to take care of the elderly? A large portion of uh, caretakers uh, of elderly people are illegal immigrants. And part of the reason for that is that the elderly people are immigrants and they need uh, other immigrants to take care of them. So a lot of illegals are taking care of the elderly. And the New York Times says, Oh no! What's gonna What's gonna happen to them? What's gonna happen to the elderly people if we send the, these uh, illegals back to where they belong? Since they came here illegally. Now, a couple of points. Number one, look, who cares? I mean, even if they're right, even if that's the situation, you know, if they're illegal here illegally, we have to send them back. You know, I don't think anybody's gonna die if we send them back. Maybe it'll be inconvenient, but that's not an argument. That's a ridiculous argument, in my opinion. Number two, you know, you created the problem. A lot, a lot of these caretakers are being funded by Medicaid. So the government creates the problem, gives all these illegals money they never should have had in the first place to take care of these elderly people. And so, oh, now we're stuck. You know, well, you made this problem. And my guess would be that the government intentionally did this 
to to make this argument of a, a seemingly legitimate argument. I don't believe it is, but that's the idea behind it. I would think part of the motivation. But and look, if you know, come up with the money. Maybe you'll have to pay more money to legal people who are here legally, but that's how it goes. But I really want to make a more fundamental point. Why are they saying this? There are a lot of very integral jobs that are being done by illegals. Uh, a lot of illegals work on farms and are involved with agriculture. I mean, I'm, there are illegals, I'm sure, who are plumbers out there. It's going to cost more money to get legal workers than illegal workers if we send the illegals back in a lot of different jobs where they're very needed. But, you know, why Why are we singling out the elderly? You might you might have your own explanation, but to me, it's, it's obvious. It's that we want, the New York Times wants to fuel the narrative that the Republicans are evil. The Republicans want to kill old people and sick people and puppies, right? The, the, it's always about this where the attack on the Republicans is the elderly because the Republicans don't like Medicare and Medicaid and all these programs that help the elderly, elderly Social Security. That's what this is all about. This is an emotional, this is not a rational argument. This is an, They're trying to appeal to emotions and, and sadly, they succeed very often because there's this narrative out there. A few years ago, there were commercials of Paul Ryan Literally, commercials of Paul Ryan throwing like an old grandmother in a wheelchair off of a cliff. I mean, they, they literally, this kind of propaganda is common amongst the left. This is the narrative. The Republicans want everything they want to do, all their policies. They claim it's about their ideology, but it's really just about hurting. Like the Republicans like get together and have meetings. Well, how are we going to hurt old people today? That's really what they make it sound like. So that's what this is really all about. Okay, that's going to do it for today. We thank you all for joining us again, and we will see you next time.